HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is presented by Restaurant Workers Community Foundation, an advocacy and action nonprofit created by and for restaurant workers. Learn more at restaurantworkerscf.org. This week on Meet and 3, I'm about to go on maternity leave. This is Katie Mosman-Wadler, and before I leave you in the incredibly capable hands of Team HRN, we're rounding out Season 5 with a deep dive into the food rules, weird cravings, and overall hype about eating while pregnant. There are a lot of safe foods to eat, and we shouldn't be sort of assuming that just because something is raw that it's dangerous. I just found myself feeling like there was an alien piloting my body and brain and uh, totally changed the way that I ate. So was it the eggplant? Sure. Why not? I just don't know. Tune in to this week's episode of Meet and 3 anywhere you listen to podcasts. I'll be back soon with our newest and tiniest producer in tow. Hey there, welcome to the Feed Feed podcast, where we sit down with leaders and upstarts in the food media realm to discuss everything from navigating social media, building, engaging, and growing a community, producing content that resonates with young and old. I'm Julie Resnick. And I'm Dan Resnick, and we're co-founders of The Actual Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, and drink. Today, we're joined by Andrew Steinthal, co-founder and CRO of The Infatuation, as well as the CRO of Sagat, to talk about building social communities and media brands from the ground up. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be here. (laughs) Nice to see you, as always. The Infatuation is a restaurant discovery platform for people in select cities around the world. But tell us more about what Infatuation is to the average person that likes to eat out and what it means to your super fans. Yeah, I mean, look, we're... The infatuation has always been a resource for people to find the right restaurant or bar for the right experience, right? That was that was always the foundation of what we were trying to build. You know, Chris and I started the company almost 11 years ago now, which is crazy. Um, but you know, we were we were both in the music business and we're out at restaurants all the time, entertaining, you know, bands, managers, ourselves, and you know, depending on who you were going out with, you had a very different 
<laughs> reason and place that you needed to entertain with. Um, so, you know, we, we were, we were people who, who loved going out to eat and felt like there wasn't really a resource for a trusted resource for people like us to, to find the right place for the right experience, um, as it related to restaurants. So that's why ultimately we started writing restaurant reviews and, and building our brand, um, was just to serve, to help people, you know, have a relatable and trustworthy place to find the right place for the right experience. And so at the beginning, you were writing these reviews and publishing them on a website, The Infatuation? Yeah, we were, it, it was all born as a, I mean, at that time, kind of a blog that we put up on WordPress, um, but we categorized everything um, with these perfect four tags. So perfect four, first, you know, a, a first date, which is different than uh, date night with your husband or wife, right? So we did like, you know, early in the game dates, um, in addition to date night, right? Dinner with the parents, uh, action at the bar, you know, different kinds of experiences that you that require different types of venues. Um, but yeah, it started as a as a blog, and you know, we obviously very quickly at the same time we built our newsletter, <laughs> which was everybody we knew personally, everybody in the music business, um, that we just dumped on an email to start, and we're like, hey, we're going to start emailing you about this. Um, Twitter which was brand new at the time when we launched in 2009. We took to Twitter very quickly. And that was kind of, those were our tools in the beginning to start getting the word out about our website. And so what kind of things did you hear uh, from your early community? What did they, what resonated most with them? I think it was the relatability factor, right? I think, you know, we, we, there is no lack of media entities out there writing about food, yeah. right? I think there's there's tons of it, and it's kind of, you know, over time has started, some people have excused themselves from the table as well, right? But, you know, at that juncture, right, you have a lot of action. You have Food and Wine and Bon Appetit and the New York Times and, um, you know, even locally in New York, Time Out and New York Magazine and the New Yorker, everybody's in on the action, but, you know, nobody was really building a utility built for the phone, the computer that you now had in your pocket, your iPhone or Android or whatever you use, right? Like there was nobody actually building a product that, that fit into people's lives the way people were living their lives. And that was kind of the, the thing that we saw as the opportunity where we were like, look, we had, you know, I was, I used to, I was the VP of PR at Warner Brothers Records for a long time. And my business partner ran the marketing team at Atlantic Records. And, um, and that's you know, Chris. Yeah, Chris. Um, he was a VP of marketing and he, he ran Chris like Stang. Chris Stang. Um, you know, he he ran Coldplay's marketing and Skrillex's marketing and Bruno Mars's marketing. And, you know, we um, you know, we had watched Pitchfork and music become the most influential platform that could drive a record and a band and really break a band. Like the weekend never happens if Pitchfork doesn't hop onto the weekend really early and drive the narrative around that artist and really set the table. And, you know, we we it's interesting in music because there was, again, there was so many, there was Spin and Rolling Stone and all these like incumbents sort of, but they didn't really matter or like they didn't really drive influence to this generation. Yeah. And, and that was something that we were like, cool, if, if they could do it in, in music, why not a voice like ours in restaurants, right? And you and it was, started just in New York. We started in New York. Yeah, we just started, we would, we would be going out because we were getting hit by our friends and family all the time about like, hey, I got a date or I got my parents coming to town or I have a big birthday dinner I want to plan. Like, help me up with a recommendation because we were the people in our group of friends that we loved going to restaurants. Yeah. Like, we didn't consider ourselves like gourmands or the 
you know, F word that I don't want to want to say. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but like, you know, we, we loved the act of going to eat. We loved to go hang out with people and eat great food. And, um, you know, we were the people that everybody has in their group that when they're in town or when they're looking for something, they text and they call and they're like, yo, you know the information. Where am I, what am I doing? Yep. Right. And same thing was happening at work. And it was like, you know, I tell this story a lot, but it's like, hey, Kid Rock's in town. He's going to have 25 people around. He likes Mexican food. Also, Tom Brady might show up. What are we? What, what's <laughs> Where the plan? Should we go? Right, Where you exactly. go with Tom Brady and Chris? Right, it's <laughs> <laughs> um, But you know, like there was an opportunity there to serve an audience content that was really more utility, yep. right? That would that would that fit into people's worlds and and help make recommendations for people. And and that was ultimately what we started out to go do. And then there were, there were moments along the way that you could feel that people were into it, yeah. right? Like I was a publicist for a long time. I worked a lot of great bands and I worked a lot of not so great bands. And you would, you know, you would throw these songs and bands out into the world and you could feel it when you actually had something, right? Like a lot of the times it would fall on deaf ears, right? But every once in a while, you'd have a baby band, a new band that was just starting that people would be like, hmm, this is interesting. And you would feel it from a couple people here and there, right? And that's what it started to feel like for us when we put this into the world. You could see, you could you could feel the interest from humans. And first it was our friends, yep. you know, and then it was strangers, right? Yep. And when you started to get the emails and you saw the tweets and you you felt that pull of people being like, this is great more, we were like, all right, that's it. This is our thing. Let's go. And yep. like that was sort of when the light switch went off for us. And we're like, we're going to basically put everything we have into this thing and make it hopefully someday something that we can leave our jobs with and be a massive, you know, company. And I remember reading it was about four or five years before you actually left your job. Yeah, it was five years. Okay. And you mentioned uh, utility and, and for sure that that is what you guys provide. But uh, there is an element of um, sort of brand building that you guys have obviously done, whether intentionally or not, that has garnered that kind of loyalty from your audience that, it, that has made you guys relatable to them. And uh, maybe just talk about that a little bit, because I see yeah. that brand. You know, I'd love yeah, to look, I, I, I think that the relatability, you know, what I was saying before about there, there are all these incumbents, you know, who write about food and restaurants and do a really great job of it, too. Right. But, you know, they're talking from not that they're talking down to you, but it's really for that one percent of people who really care about cooking and chefs and and the industry at large. Right. Where most average people, all of us who eat three times a day, most likely. Right. Like they those people don't necessarily care about the chef and they don't necessarily care about the art of cooking. They just want to know, when, you know, where they can go get a really good burger. Right. And they also, they just want to make sure that when they are going to go out to eat, they spend their money wisely and they don't waste it. Right. Cause you know, when you live in New York or LA or San Francisco or these places that just have amazing restaurants, there is no point in wasting a meal ever. <laughs> you can be eating great food all the time, even if you're just getting delivery to your, to your house or apartment. So, um, you know, and I think that we were very honest and real, you know, like I, you know, Chris and I have very different personalities as it relates to what we like and what we don't like. And it actually complemented each other really well in the beginning. Um, but, you know, I think that people like the idea of the outsized editor telling you what they, they, they should and should not like is kind of not relevant anymore. People want to hear from their peers that they trust. And we were that peer, yep. right? We were like them. And we earned their credibility, you know, we earned our credibility and their trust by being very honest and very real and not playing, 
you know, we didn't come from the restaurant industry. We weren't out trying to like befriend chefs and restaurateurs. We just went to restaurants right. and paid like for the stuff eat, and go like, out to dinner and go t- tell the story the way that we would honestly tell the story with, and, that, and that's it. And that's still to this day how we execute our business and how our writers in all these different markets go out and handle themselves. You know, we don't buddy up to the to the community. We don't take free meals. We don't you know, go to any openings or any of that stuff. You know, we stay far, far away from that. And, you know, I think it shows through the content and people see that. And that's the relatability element that people really took to and were like, oh my God, you're like, you're me and, and you're just doing this. Like this is, this makes so much sense. I get it. And and that's really what has set us apart. It's always been the voice. So and- let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, you mentioned Twitter, obviously Instagram came into play sure. and hashtag eats. Let's talk about Instagram and how it's helped to evolve your business. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, it, the beginning of our business, I mean, I spent I must have spent four hours a day on every single place I could find community to go talk about what was then called immaculate infatuation and drop our links in places and try and get people to come check us out, right? So I was on message boards like Chowhound and Yelp, and I would go like, I got kicked off Yelp like four times because I would go like copy paid, you know, like a couple paragraphs of our review and be like, read more link here. And they were like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm trying to get people to our website. But, um, you know, we were always looking for places where community existed. Right. So Twitter was amazing. That was beginning of our strategy was cool. We're going to search conversations of people, you know, talking about Momofuku or talking about Shake Shack or talking about Roberta's and hop into those conversations and start engaging with people. And hopefully they will then see what our brand is and be into it. Um, And then, you know, having done that a lot on Twitter, as soon as Instagram launched, we were like, whoa, this is Twitter with pictures and food and pictures go really well together. And, you know, we jumped on that platform really, really early. And I think... And by jump, uh, is that partly the hashtag or what else did you do? Well, I think the first thing that we did And that hashtag was, being eats with five E's. Right. Hashtag eats with five E's. Well, the story of how eats came to be is that really we, we always were looking at how to use these platforms as a two-way conversation as opposed to just a one-way conversation of us talking at you, right? That's always been part of our brand is like, we want to have a two-way conversation. Obviously, we don't let the users participate in content on the infatuation, but you know, at least on community platforms, that's what's important. That's how you build community. You have to, you guys know it as well as anybody, Um, you know, how strong it can be to have a community engaging with you and creating content with and for you and for themselves and all of that. So, you know, we, we, while we were posting photos and doing things on the platform, we were like, okay, how do we really utilize this to drive community? And we started doing, um, you know, just like quick contest things. So we'd make up a hashtag like handful of eats or mm-hmm. we or like still summer when it was September. Right. And like encourage people to use that hashtag and post and we would repost you and right. like, this is novel now, but like back then, nobody did that, right? Yeah. Like we, we tell the same story all the time, right? Like no, no that, one was that, that wasn't asking thing. people to share what they cook, bake, or drink, you know, with a hashtag. Totally, yeah. And um, and it was really, and so once we started to roll with that, we were like, wait, this is stupid. Why do we switch this up every week? Let's just pick, pick something one. that's our own yeah. that can be our calling card on this platform. Enter eats with five E's, which is really like eats. And people are like, why is it five E's? And I'm like, I don't know. When you say eats, how many E's does that feel like it sounds like? And that's why. So there's no real good, good, no real good rhyme or reason to any of it. But that's also kind of been our style this whole time is just 
have some fun with it. And, you know, we didn't want to make it something that was like infatuation gram because it's right. kind of lame and boring and probably won't build a community um, of people around something like that. But Eats was something that was playful and fun and it worked. So some somehow, some way, the Eats hashtag ultimately took off. And, you know, look, Instagram was a huge platform for us. I mean, it really took us at least, you know, because we were still at the time just a New York thing. And Instagram helped us very quickly become a more globally recognized brand without even being in those cities yet. Right. So, you know, people, people were started, tagging you, Eats. People were tagging Austin, us. Austin, exactly. Detroit, San Francisco. And we would engage with it. I mean, we spent hours. We would engage with every single person who was post using yeah. a hashtag, right? We would like, we would comment, we right. would get after people. And, and it really, it was really powerful. Um, so, you know, Instagram was, especially the early days of Instagram, was an, was an amazing ride. Um, you know, it's still a very important piece of what we do, mm -hmm. but it's obviously changed a lot and is a very different place now than it was. So how else do uh, general fans consume your content now? So, you know, obviously Instagram, your website, your yep. lists, but, you know, things come to mind for me, TextRex, EatsCon, Experiential in general. Yeah, I mean, look, experiential is a huge part of our existence. You know, we coming from the music business, we knew we were like, cool, if we can write hit songs, you know, good content. And if we could, you know, figure out a way to get our community to feel like they have a close personal relationship to the brand, we're going to win. And the second part of that was cool. If we can if we can bring people together around food and drink and, you know, underneath our banner, you know, that that's something we were familiar with. Right. Shows and and getting fans out to shows was something we were doing our whole lives and we were building artists. We really applied the blueprint to building an, a band, to building a brand that just so happened to represent Restaurant Discovery. And you're adding music to your events as well. So. Yeah, like there's always kind of, like there's, music is very much in our DNA, right? So there's always touches and elements of that that we've used. But, you know, we did our first event, Turkey Leg Ball, in 2010. And we had started in 2009. And and I remember going, it was actually one of the biggest biggest aha moments for us too, was we put tickets on sale. We rented out some venue. We had no idea what we were doing. We we're like, we're going to throw a party and it's going to be our logo at the time was a turkey leg. So we were like, we're going to do it before Thanksgiving. And we took over like a wedding venue type space and bought it out and brought in our friends who were, cater who were doing some catering thing. And we're like, we're going to brought got a couple brands to give us a little bit of money. And we threw a party. And I remember we put tickets on sale for like, 25 or 30 bucks and I went into a meeting at regular work at Warner Brothers and came back from the meeting and we had sold we had like almost sold out of 300 tickets and then we were just like what is going on and we were floored we were looking at the RSVPs we didn't recognize any of the names and we're like wow we really I, something's happening here right and and that event was great event it was a terrible event at the same time but it was great <laughs> um, but you know since then we've always used events and experiences as part of of what we offer, you know, and I think people just want to meet other like-minded people. Uh, people are always interested in that. I think as you get older and you get into work, you know, you have your friends and you have the people you work with and there's not a lot of changing up of ways to meet other people. So when you can bring people together that have similar interests and they can meet each other, there's a ton of power in that and you know, community is built that way. So, you know, for a long time we've been doing all kinds of events and you know, last year we did 70 events um, across like 15 different markets, two of which were, as you mentioned, our EatsCon festival, um, which, you know, look, forever we've kind of talked about this idea of coming from music. I mean, like, what does a music festival look like, but 
for restaurants, Food. right? Yeah. So like the curate a really amazing list of restaurants and group of restaurants from all over the country, you know, some headliners, some middle ones, some discovery ones and things that are really, you know, not like, you know, that a lot of these food festivals are are great, but the, you know, it's more like celebrity chef driven right. ten, tents and tastings, yeah. really expensive. And right. we were trying to think about, okay, what is a reasonable price point that people can come and have a great experience, put a lot of really great restaurants in one place, you know, bring in other parts of culture from music to sports to entertainment, have panel discussions, you know, talk about wine, bring in really cool brand experiences so that it's an immersive experience that people feel like they're getting a lot for their money. And, um, you know, the curation is really on point with, with what we are as a, as a brand. Um, but you know, look, I mean, to your, to the question you actually asked and I didn't answer, um, (laughs) was where, how does the infatuation exist? Right? Like what are the different touch points? Definitely web. We have newsletter, all the social stuff. We run 40 plus Instagram accounts, whatever. That's, that, that's all there as well. And then Textrex is our messaging platform um, where you can text us and a real live human being will get back to you um, with information. So we help people find restaurants via text. Uh, that's been really successful. We've been doing that for five years. And recently in New York, we offer that service full-time in New York, LA, and San Francisco. We um, use it a lot in LA. Amazing. Yeah, because when we moved there... Um, you know, you don't know totally. what you don't know, and you need someone who you can turn to, and kind of that same type of a situation. You know, you text your friends like, "Where do I get Mexican food on the West Side?" They might not reply right away, but Text Rex has actually solved a lot of problems that's for us. Yeah, that's um, good to hear. But so we recently rolled Text Rex into a membership offering too, so called Friends of the Infatuation. Okay. So, now people have to pay for text tracks, but you also get a bunch of other cool stuff in the membership perks from brands. We're doing these like really amazing travel guides that are itinerary based. So it's not just where to eat, but it's where to stay, what to do um, to a lot of really cool places. And there was a plus up eats con experience as part of that um, as well. So there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of cool stuff going on. And I, we wanted to talk about uh, your contextual reviews a little bit. We've heard you use that term and it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, but mostly we want to kind of read some of our favorites just because they're <laughs> hilarious and, uh, you know, get your reaction to some of them. Um, but by contextual, I think you mean, you know, you're, you're going to a restaurant in a specific moment in your life and you want uh, the restaurant to sort of meet your needs at that moment. So here's some of them. Um, where to go when you've eaten everywhere in Williamsburg where to break up with someone if you really can't do it at your apartment, (laughs) where to eat and drink with your dog. I like that one, even though I don't have a dog. Where to go when your ex reaches out, where to eat with flaky friends. That that one's interesting, too. Actually, I got an email the other week. I think it was um, where to go if you've just gotten a haircut and you feel really good about yourself. And I was like, that is awesome, because like you that is a moment where you're you feel really good about yourself. I I feel you. No, look, I mean. All of these, this is this is the relatability part of this that that makes people be like, ah, this yeah. is this is yeah. this is those are my people. I love right? these, these guys. are my people, yeah. right? This is yeah. this isn't so serious, right. and it's it's a good time, you know. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because a lot of these ideas come from the information and data that we receive on the other end of text recs, right? Yeah. So we have this engaged community right. who is telling us yep. all day, every day what they want right. and what they're looking for. Right. So we come back and then spit content back at them that they've asked for, and some people don't even realize that they've asked for it, yeah. right? So it's it's really been an interesting 
uh, process for us with the messaging service because you get so much information from people totally. and, and you can self-serve them so much better by knowing what they're looking for. So yeah. it's really, we're just out here listening to what people are asking for and then putting it back in front of them in a creative way. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about making money. You're the CRO of the infatuation. What is your approach to monetization? Ooh, now we're, go, we're, getting, we're getting serious. We're going to talk some business talk here. Uh, yeah, I mean, we like money. We want to make money. That has always been a theme of uh, building any business, but specifically ours. I mean, from the beginning, you know, when we started this company, we knew that we were going to be an integrated brand partnership supported business. That if we could build a strong brand ourselves, and we could build a really strong community, brands would hopefully pay to access that community, right? That was that was our mindset from the beginning um, and something we worked towards from the very early days, right? So we were always thinking about it, even if we weren't necessarily making money immediately, but we were always kind of like, you know, I remember the day we started, I made a list of brands that were like dream brands to work with. And it was Nike and Equinox and, you know, at the time Seamless was, was the only game in town and Whole Foods and... Uh, Jameson and Anheuser-Busch, Stella Artois, and just like, you know, a bunch of brands that we really, we liked and used every day in our everyday lives. Yep. You know, American Express was high up on that list, right? And, and, and started to try and think about ways to start befriending people in those places. You know, I came from a world in which I did PR, but also learned a lot from the brand partnerships folks at Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers Records. Shout out to Lori Feldman, who ran that team for a long time. And, and I learned a lot from her about how, we, how the music business made money, you know, doing product placement and working with brands so that brands could fund all the things that we wanted to do, yep. right? And, and that was a model I was very familiar with. So again, it was kind of copying what we knew from the music business and also watching, look, we watched Vice go from being a zine that had all kinds of weird stuff in it to being this, you know, growing at the time, 11 years ago, media business that was getting all kinds of big checks, but also being able to keep their voice and yep. say and, and not compromise yep. the integrity of their brand, right? And if Pepsi wanted to spend two million bucks with them, they're like, great, but we're gonna do this our way. Right. We're not just gonna be a place that you place your advertising. So that was always an inspiration for us is we were like, cool, we can do this the right way. We can integrate brands into our world and hopefully people will pay for that if yep. we can build a, a, a big enough audience. So you know from the beginning it's always been something we thought about and um, you know grew Grew the business a lot year over year, but we were, we now work with all kinds of different. Well, so Nike partners. you mentioned was on your list, and you've worked with Nike this year. And actually, the relatability that you were mentioning earlier with uh, respect to your content, I think you applied perfectly with that campaign with Nike. I mean, I love you know the person running through the streets of New York chasing a slice <laughs> of pizza because actually that is how I feel. I mean, we that's how I we run. Yeah. we've run two marathons, and I think we ran them so we can eat the way we eat hoping that afterwards we could just reward ourselves with yeah. as much food because we were more hungry than we'd ever been in our lives. So totally. I could, I, people relate to that. Yeah. I, I mean, look, in, in general, right, we are a food thing, but we are a food thing that relates through culture. And I think that that's been a really important way that we've been able to show brands like, hey, even if dining isn't the number one thing on the verticals that are important to you, you can still work with us because we have a really engaged audience. We're creative marketers and we're really a 360 marketing partner that can plug a lot of holes. You know, like, look, the world of brands and agencies 
is a little broken right now. So, and, and especially with the world of you know, different publishers, there's, there's obviously plenty of publishers out there that can deliver you massive scale, right? But are there publishers out there who can bring credibility, who can actually drive influence, who can right. actually make a connection to an audience, both digitally and in real life? You know, there, there aren't that many, right? So, you know, we have a unique offering. Um, it takes time for people to understand what it is. Yep. But if you're looking to do cool shit in culture, we can help do that. And the good news is that you can't have a good experience, especially an IRL experience, without food and drink being a part of it. You know, so food and drink literally touches everything. So we, you know, we just did an event with BMW at Art Basel. We'll be at Super Bowl with Stella Artois and Bose, right? We're probably doing more Nike things. We'll show up at NBA All-Star Weekend. So in addition to having our own things that we do, we will also go to a lot of the important cultural moments and create experiences, content, you know, around those moments with brands being a part of that. Um, so, you know, for us, the That's Nike awesome. part- awesome, congratulations. Yeah, because, thank you. Because, you I know, mean, it's, it's making money in a smart way that is actually giving the brand something valuable and the consumer and the audience a great experience in the process. Sure. You know, well, and that's the thing. It's probably almost a selfish thing, and it is for us as well, which is that if you have a community that you're leveraging to monetize, it's really important to provide them content, including branded content, that's valuable and is authentic. So you have a, a sort of a, a stake in it. You know, you, you, you don't want to accept advertising that doesn't give value to your community. So that's sort of the differentiator, I think. Yeah, look, 100%. I mean, we've gotten to this point by saying no to a lot of things. You know, as we grow the business, we need to figure out how to say yes to more, right? But without undermining our you know, the authenticity and the credibility that we've, we've come and built it on. But we, we've, to build the business and build the brand the way that we did, we had to say, we, we said no to tons of stuff. Like we couldn't go take a McDonald's advertisement, right? Like, yes, th there's a lot of money in the QSR stuff, but we couldn't take any of it right. because then nobody will trust us, yeah. right? And I think that, that ultimately is something that we've protected at all costs, which is the trust of the community, which is what you're, you're talking about, right? Yeah. So we were really particular and really strategic about going after brands that we wanted to work with. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like, oh, we'll figure out the business model later. And, you know, for me, that was wh what I was good at. I never thought I would be a sales guy, like ever. <laughs> but ultimately, my skill set actually led to that being something that I was really well set up to do, right? And And it actually translated, but it hasn't been, you know, it, it hasn't been traditional, a traditional media play, right? We're, exactly. We've actually, now we're starting to really fine tune our media offerings and step up our game in that front too so we can make money there and actually offer the scale that these partners are looking for. We, we have it, now we just need to bring expertise in to, to, to build it and then monetize it, right? Yep. So, you know, I'm really excited about the future because we've built this amazing uh, you know, trust with both the community and the and the brands that we've been working with, and there's opportunity to just really blow that out in as we scale, and and also with the Zagat brand that we acquired. Yeah, I was going to ask like, you about that's a whole how did that thing come too. to be, and and tell us a little bit of the history of Zagat for anyone who's not familiar with it. So Zagat was started in 1979 by Tim and Nina Zagat, who at the time were don't know if they were lawyers, paralegals, they were doing something in law in Paris, France when they actually, um, when they started it, but their story is very similar to ours, which is which is amazing. And, and it's funny because my whole pitch 
for all of our stuff throughout the years was, oh, well, there's a gad of this generation, right? Like that was the, that was the And now you are. Right. <laughs> well, and that was kind of the white space that we had filled was, was the gad, you know, was a, was a print book that was done via survey. Um, it was never like there was the gap critics. It was always a community driven platform. It was really ahead of its time, to be honest, right? It was, it was crowdsourcing, sort of crowdsour- yeah. crowdsourcing yeah. reviews. They would send out a survey to all of the people and they would fill out and rate different restaurants and give pull quotes. And, and then they would take back all that information and compile it into, into a book. And, um, you know, the, they, they built an amazing business over the years and ultimately sold their business to Google um, probably like eight years ago. And, you know, Google a year, a couple of years ago came knocking on our door and was like, hey, we're, we're potentially looking to, un, you know, unwind from Zagat and we're looking for the right home for it. And, you know, we, we were very excited about that opportunity and went after it. So um, we ult- ultimately put a proposal together they were excited about and and we acquired just the brand not the not the people um just the ip and there was nobody to really take either uh-huh. um they were all google employees so they were happily employed um but you and know can you tell us where you're taking that brand yeah of course um we look for forever we have thought about the idea of the infatuation having a complementary community-based reviews system of sorts right yeah. like our we have writers in specific markets, but they're in charge. It's their voice. It's their content. We've never wanted to undermine the credibility that we've worked so hard to earn over the years by allowing the users to also contribute content underneath the infatuation banner. Yep. So we've always had the idea of like, what does UGC look like for us? A better version of UGC, right. a more credible version of right. UGC that's just restaurant and bar focused. Yep. What could that be? And so when the Zagat thing came around, we were like, oh, wow. Like... This is an amazing opportunity to take the gap back to its roots yep. in UGC and rebuild it for this generation right. with a brand that already reeks of credibility, right? Yep. Like they are the Burgundy Bible, like they still wield so much clout. And so that's what we got really excited about. So we are now in the process of rebuilding that platform, which is going to launch next year, okay. um, which will be, which will see you guys, which will see us get into the, you know, I don't want to say, the Yelp TripAdvisor world, but it'll just be restaurants and it will be sort of like that, right? Um, But a place where everybody can post their own intel on their favorite restaurants. I mean, look, everybody has their own notepad or uh, Excel doc filled with restaurants to go to when you go to Lisbon, right? Right. Or like somebody's friend, like uh, girl Joyce in our office grew up in Lisbon and she sent me this amazing list of restaurants to go to when I was there. And I have probably sent that list to 50 people, right. right? And like that should live somewhere. That should live inside Zagat and yeah. like that it's the there is there is a pain point there that if with the right community and the right vetting of humans so that you know this is a trustworthy group. Right. Cuz then that will get people like all of us personally to contribute to, right? Exactly. And and people want that. Yep. So that's what we're really excited about. We're also launching what we're calling Zagat Stories, okay. um, which will come out end of January, which will be an editorial platform um, that we're going to allow chefs, restaurateurs, celebrities, voices in the community um, tell their own stories um, through food. So we're excited about that as opposed to write articles, um, let them tell their own stories. We're going to go to a short break. This episode is presented by Restaurant Workers Community Foundation an advocacy and action nonprofit created by and for restaurant workers. 
RWCF addresses quality of life issues that disproportionately affect restaurant workers, such as wage fairness, gender equity, racial justice, immigrant rights, mental health, and substance abuse. Learn more about advocacy, grant making, and impact investing by RWCF at restaurantworkerscf.org. So we often say that we're, as Feed Feed, answering this sort of age-old question, which is, what do we eat for fill-in-the-blank, breakfast, lunch, dinner? It's that question that, you know, you ask your friend if you're meeting for dinner, you ask your husband or wife or spouse or um, significant other. Sometimes it's a very troubling question to answer because you want dumplings and I'm in the mood for sushi. Um, So it's interesting to us because Feed Feed kind of answers that on the home cook side of things. And we feel that infatuation answers that, you know, obviously on the restaurant side of things. Um, But it actually kind of goes, you know, social media has taken us from that question, kind of like Joy's list of where to eat in Lisbon. There are people out there now, um, part of both of our communities that can help us answer those questions. And it's, it also could be chefs, right? It's like where a chef's guide to this city, um, you know, a baker's guide to Boston. Um, you know, in terms of this answering that age-old question, where, where, what should I eat for dinner? Um, how does infatuation, how is it part of that conversation? And there's a part B to that, which is, it used to be that there were divisions, I think, you know, between the home cook and the restaurant world, the chef, the food producer, and now it seems that's all sort of one ecosystem. And, um, just curious to hear your take on that and how, you know, you guys have so deftly kind of placed yourselves in the middle of the conversation, even though you don't do recipes, but your hashtag, plenty of people post what they cook at home sure. on that hashtag. So because those divisions are gone, uh, I'm, I'm just interested to hear kind of how, how you guys see your, your place Yeah, for in sure. I, I mean, look, I think that question is the question that when we were starting the company, we were like, we want to help people answer the question of where should I go to dinner tonight, yeah. right? And it, it was very specific to being about restaurants, right? right? I think that that has been, for us, what has made this work is that it's very, sp- it's almost about more about what we haven't done than what we have done in many ways and that like our content is just about restaurants, right? Restaurants and bars, yeah. right? That's what our f- reviews are, that's what our guides are. That are, those are the atomic units. We've never done the cooking thing, which is why the brands like Feed Feed and the Infatuation are so complimentary. It's, they're very similar, like yeah. when I, you know, look at, how we've built our companies and, and what, you know, the, the, the community, the powerful community that they're built on, right. There's so many similarities and we've purposely not gotten into the cooking stuff and we, I don't think we ever will. Yeah. Right. Because that's a whole other arena that we don't need to play in. Right. right. Um, yeah. And same for us with restaurants. I mean, if we talk to a chef, we often invite them into one of our physical spaces, whether it's in Brooklyn or Los Angeles, and we ask them to make dinner as they would make it at home. So, you know, sure, I want to, you know, I love going to their restaurants and eating in their restaurants, but I want to know, like, what do you make for dinner for your kids? And my community wants to know that because, you know, sure, they can get inspiration from a dish off of a restaurant menu, but it's fascinating to see how chefs cook at home. Totally. I guess, you know, you've talked about community a lot. Tell us a little bit, you know, and and this show for us is about um, producing content that resonates with people young and old. Um, You know, who is the infatuations, um, you know, uh, target audience or, you know, who who most 
often consumes your content, but does it range from young to old? Yeah, it's really broad. You know, I think people, there's obviously we, we are, our audience is, is young-ish, right? Like the core and the meat of it is in that like 23 to 40 age bracket. That being said, you know, we've, we've, we talk to really young people. We talk to older people, you know, like they're different, different platforms. People take to it in, in different ways. Right. Um, so you know, I think in, in general, it's just people who are interested in food and drink, right? Yep. Like, and people who are just interested in, in culture in general, like people who have good taste in one thing generally have good taste in another thing. So, you know, if you care about what, the, what music is you're listening to, what, you what, what to you're dinner. watching, what yep. you're watching, exactly. where you're going to the movies, where you're what going you're on wearing, vacation, where like all of these things, it's the same person, yep. you know? So it's just people who have good taste and care. Yeah. And that's most people. Yeah. Right. And they might have bad taste in the eyes of someone else, but they have taste. They care about what they care about. Correct. And, and, and it's actually a way larger swath of people than most food media entities that are really focused on that that hyper food focused human right, right. that like really cares a yeah. lot as i was saying before about right. the, the the restaurants and the cooking and all of that you know that that's always been part of the goal is like to make this something that can be useful to anybody and everybody who just wants to make sure they are eating the at the right places so many people have said that 2019 is the year of tiktok you mean Tell- 2020 no 2019 Come on, Dan. Yeah. Get with the program. We, we, we just finished. Well, 2019's it. over. I know. Yeah. And TikTok okay. rose up during that year. So um, tell us what infatuation strategy is uh, with TikTok. Are you on that platform? We are on TikTok. We got a lot of fun stuff coming on TikTok. I can't reveal our strategy just yet, but we are absolutely focused on TikTok and psyched to <laughs> make silly content for it. Yeah, we're having a good time there. Yeah. Yeah. We're actually trying to get our kids to tell us what to do on TikTok, but... Um, they're refusing. They're refusing. It's a smart strategy. Yeah. <laughs> I told them that I would run a focus group with their, with their friends and pay them each 25 bucks if they would tell me what to do on TikTok. I've been trying to get my daughter to... She really wants a YouTube channel because like all these kids watch is YouTube yeah. and they just watch these kids talking about nonsense and YouTube. And I have a great kid. I'm like, you, I have an idea that I'm excited about, but you keep rejecting me. And I'm really sorry. She's like, no, I just want to do LOL dolls. I'm like, I'm not supporting that. Yeah, stick to that. No. Don't support it. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you guys have accomplished a lot and done a lot. And, you know, you've, you've uh, described sort of the near-term uh, goals. But uh, is there anything that, that, you know, you might want to share that, that's next for infatuation that maybe is just a, an early bud in your mind? I mean, there's so much. We talk about so many different things. Um, you know, we're we are people who continue, who who are never. <laughs> we just want to keep pushing and p- keep going and and figure out what's next. So, I don't have anything completely specific. Zagat is like the biggest priority for us on the horizon. Obviously, the infatuation as well. We're we're still, you know, we're just launched in Miami and we're about to launch in Dallas and oh, Houston. No, we we love Miami. Yeah, like Dallas and Houston are on the horizon for this year. We just hired an amazing editor in Texas and we're going to really lean into Texas hard this year. And, you know, there's a lot of other places. London is our fastest growing market, which has been nuts. We've been there for two years with the infatuation and it's a, it's, it's been really great. So, you know, we got to keep expanding across the map and figure out how to fill it in, in the right way. And the rest of those like bigger ideas, you know, we got to figure out eats con. Are we going to do more eats cons? Are we good with two eats cons? What's the business around the festivals? How, you know, there's, there's a lot to figure out. Um, but 
it's great. We've we've got a lot of momentum and and business is good and we're always down to try new things. So we'll see. All right. Well, thanks so much, Andrew, for coming by. And thanks, everyone, for listening. To learn more about the recipe discovery platform that is The Feed Feed, head to our website. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Feed Feed. And if you have a tip on who the next social media culinary star will be or who is innovating in food media, please send us a DM. See you the next time. The Feed Feed is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.